What's up, everybody? This is episode 146 of the Clappercast. I'm Burke, and as always, joined by Sean. Sean, what's going on, man? You know, I'm just standing at the top of a cliff edge here, <laughs> looking looking out at the looking out at the distance, trying to figure out what to do with myself now. Yeah, it's there's no hockey. What do, what do we do? It's it's crazy. What do we do we talk about hockey. That's what we do. Ex- exactly. We we make stuff to talk about to get us through the summer until there's actual <laughs> stuff happening again. Exactly. Um, so the Stanley Cup Finals obviously ended. Vegas Golden Knights won to the sh- much to the chagrin of 31 fan bases. Um, but congratulations to them. They were dominant in the playoffs and definitely deserved it. Um, it I hate saying that, but it is what it is. Um, they Shout out to uh, Patrice Bergeron for predicting that at the end of last <laughs> season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was apparently instrumental in them bringing in uh, Bruce Cassidy and said, if you bring this guy in, you will win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> no, he said next yeah. year. Like, you'll win a cup next year. Yeah. So he was definitely on team bruce um or yeah is bruce or is it butch <laughs> i thought it was both i mean bruce cassidy <laughs> is the, his name but <laughs> having a moment here anyway yeah very very interesting jack eichel stanley cup champ um and uh yeah what, what are your thoughts on the the series i gotta be honest it was probably one of the worst cup finals <laughs> in recent memory <laughs> Just because, I mean, the Panthers, all the stuff came out after the Panthers were absolutely, like, destroyed by injuries. Like, all of their best players were broken. I mean, it's telling when Matthew Kachuk has to sit out the final game of the season in the playoffs in the cup final because he's so hurt. Yeah. I mean, Ekblad, what do you have? Like, a broken foot, an oblique tear. And he had his his shoulder popped up twice during playoffs. Yeah couple of shoulder pops out montour hurt himself too i think his was shoulder as well and uh gudis gudis had a high ankle sprain not that he's one of their best players but obviously important well he's still he's he's a valuable one in the playoffs especially with his physicality yeah but um you know the panthers were destroyed by injury and it just it caught up with them when you've got a team like vegas that is firing on all cylinders they they were able to match and adapt to every single opponent that they played and just dominate every single series. And that last game, that the oh cup-clinching game being a 9-3 victory, like, that might be the worst cup-clinching cup game ever. Just because it wasn't even close. There was no hope for, for no. Florida. <clears throat> Pardon me, ever. Not at all. No, they, I mean, during the series, I was saying like oh Ekblad sucks like he's not a very good defenseman anymore like he just looks so bad and then it comes out that he's like basically like half of a body out there and it's like okay yeah, that's basically just sense. a skating like, body cast how this guy <laughs> still has a job in the NHL <laughs> yeah because he was an absolute warrior and I was judging him unfairly based bec- I mean the teams don't publish injuries so what are you supposed to do right during the, the games you just either think the guy looks like he's sucks now or he is injured and i don't know there was nothing like obvious that was like this guy looks injured to me but it was just a lot of like playing through pain and making bad decisions and stuff and yeah i'm just getting beat and but he's like it just like i think yeah i agree with you like they just had too many injuries and i mean they they look at what they did like in the previous rounds right they beat the best team of all time they beat the, the Toronto, who was people pegged as a contender. Um, they beat um, Carolina. They had a lot of overtimes along the way. 
um, just a lot of physical games and um, I'd love to be the, the time off I think um, now knowing that they were injured it's like oh maybe that did help them a little bit but it looked it looked like in the beginning of the series that they they kind of lost their momentum um, it did but yeah I mean like Matthew Kachuk had like a broken sternum and, and played <laughs> yeah he played and then he goes and scored what was it the tying or the winning goal that one yeah. game uh, I think it was the afterwards um, and um, he couldn't even dress himself couldn't even tie his skates he had to get like his brother to help him out of bed in the morning couldn't put his jersey on like absolutely like confirmed hockey guy um, oh for sure I think he had a quote too like after the series was over saying like you know I can look back and know that I I did everything I could you know, it's not the result we wanted, but like, no one can say that you didn't try. Um, yeah, and I think that's a really admirable way to look at it. Is just like, they, they, him and the team, they left nothing on the table. Yeah, they gave it their all. They gave it their best shot, and look what they had—an amazing season, an amazing playoff run—and like, they should be proud of themselves, and they should be happy with the result. Even even though they lost, they gave it their all. They did their absolute best, and like, it turned out to be a great season for the team. And you know, we always rag on the Panthers for their, you know, lack of a fan base. Apparently, this playoff run has generated so much interest in the team. Like, their season ticket sales, their jersey and merchandise sales have skyrocketed. Yeah. So that they should be set up for a couple years of actually having a pretty solid uh, fan base and a pretty solid following on the team. Yeah, I I saw that too. I think that's pretty cool. I hope that they can follow it up and, t- and fans aren't, like, quick to <coughs> dismiss them next season because some of these guys might not be around for the beginning of the season, you know, like some of these injuries are going to take sounds time like to heal. Like they're going to miss like the first yeah, few months of the season. I, th- I think it's Ekblad and Montour. Yeah. Are going to miss the first bit of the season. Yeah. Um, so like they might be letting in a lot of goals, um, <laughs> like the beginning of the season. Um, yeah. but I mean like they were one of the worst teams to make playoffs of, I think like point wise of the modern era. So, um, they might be able to do the same thing next year. Who knows? But um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool to see. And I am with you though. It was one of the worst Cup finals. Like it just. Which one was worse, this one or Tampa Tampa Montreal? They're both pretty bad. I think I think the Tampa Montreal <laughs> one. People were just happy that there was one. Um, and then it was yeah. like, oh, this is like an East Coast battle. It's kind of interesting. Um, and no one expected Montreal <laughs> to be there. Um. But I would say this one's worse just because it's, it's Vegas, but also like <laughs> just an absolute point night to finish it off. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, pretty rough. Um, at least they won, they, f- they finally won a Stanley Cup finals game, Florida. They didn't get swept yeah, again. Yeah, that, that ended that drought. <laughs> yeah. So they have that at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, so let's talk about maybe some of the individual performances on the other side. So Jonathan Marcheseau won the um, MVP. Um, do you think that that was the right call? Yes. I think uh, of all the players on either team, it was either going to be Marcheseau or Kachuk with an honorable mention to Jack Eichel. Yeah. And... You know, Marsh is so like he started the playoffs a bit slow from what I remember, but once that Edmonton series happened 
I mean, he scored that hat trick in the in the series clinching game. There, he had an amazing series against Dallas, and then he's still playing solid through the final. And did he end up leading the playoffs in points? Eichel did by one point. Eichel did by one point over, I assume, Marcia. Yeah. It was Eichel, Marcia, Hints, Kachuk, Stone. Um, there was like a, a yeah Eichel first, Marcia second, and then there was like a three way tie for third. Right. So I think. I think just for um, the the importance of the goals and the importance of the performance of Marcia So, I think he stood out more in those points than Eichel did for his, even though Eichel had an amazing two-way playoffs. Like, he was solid yeah. on both sides of the puck. Like, his defensive game needs to be commended more than he gets credit for it right now because he's doing solid with that and learning from one of the greats in Mark Stone, really. Um And there's also the uh, just the story behind Marcia So on that team, because he's kind of he's like one of those original guys, and uh, just for him to to come in and lead the team to their first cup after being there for the first for the first season for the first playoff run there, and there is that kind of fun. Um, he just beat the team that you know traded him <laughs> to keep what was it Alex Petrovich or something? Yeah, they 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 wanted they traded Riley Smith to Vegas so that they would choose Marcia so so that they could protect protect Petrovic. Yeah, yeah, so you know, there's there's that whole aspect of he goes and wins the Conn Smythe against them six seasons later. Yeah. <laughs> that's just that's just a fun a fun, you know, throwback, whatever. Not that that should have an impact on the voting, but it's just a fun it's story. It's the way hockey is, you know? Like it's just yeah. it's always gotta have that storyline. It's just part of the game that I love. It's just there's always that drama. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that, that was cool. And there was also a cool moment in the, in the, in the series winning game, game five, um, where Cassidy started five of the six misfits, um, to, uh, like on opening face off. Yeah. Um, which was pretty cool. He's, I, there's like a clip of it in the room and he's like, sorry, Will Carrier. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like, yeah, cause he was yeah, the one who got like, left I'm gonna out. I'm going to say sorry to you right now, but there's been six guys that have been here since like day one and, you know. We're gonna start, you know, William Carlson, Riley Smith, Jonathan Marcia, so um, Theodore and McNabb. Um, that was pretty cool. Just he, and like he was asked about think, it too. Uh, he said like it's just a kind of a fun way to get the guys going, you know. Yeah, and I think that's it because what a way to go and set the tone for the game in front of your home crowd. Once they, once the fans, once the arena clued into what was happening and realized who was on the ice to start there. Like, that was just, what a way to just get the game going. What a way to get the crowd into it. What a way to get the team into it, like you said. Just yeah. a really touching moment of, of you know, th- of that franchise and its, you know, short-lived but successful history. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I think, you can talk about Jack Eichel a little bit, but I think, yeah, that was very impressive to see him. Um, like, his off-the-puck off play was, was really good, and he just two-way like you said um 200 foot player during the playoffs and i don't know if i mm-hmm. really watched a lot of eichel but i didn't know that he played that way so it's kind of fun to see like a, a quote-unquote superstar like putting in that level of effort every game uh, it was literally every game um mm-hmm. and he would be a difference maker like on the back check like especially like even during like the stars series there was times where he'd bust his ass back, 
kind of like break up a play and then turn around. Um, he made some great plays too. Um, I also wanted to give a special shout out to Chandler Stevenson. Um, my guy. Um, the only golden knight you're allowed to like. (laughs) 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 Um, he's, he's now won a cup twice in that building. Um, so that's (laughs) (laughs) pretty cool. Um, and uh, shout out to uh, Vancouver Island guy Aiden Hill getting a cup too. Yeah, yeah, I think he led the, the playoffs in save percentage, uh, tied in shutouts, um, played played on the. We'll real. see when his day with a cup is. Maybe we'll have to go up <laughs> island. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he also made um, like a you know Vegas's version of the save, right? Um, that was that. Was yeah, huge. actually, I forgot about that one, but I- that. Uh, that's a really one of the another one of those like hockey moments of just the the parallel to history because the overhead shot that you sent me, it basically mimicked whole yeah, things it was from, the same from side that of the series. ice too. So it's yeah. really crazy that it's you kind of you kind of knew as soon as that save it's like Vegas is winning, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, <laughs> it's like they've they've exercised the finals demon, like they've yeah. they're on this side now. It's going this way, yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean they they were just tenacious on on Florida and just made them pay and then just kept the kept the pedal to the metal and it was really boring to watch as a someone who wanted Florida to win. <laughs> not not super exciting games. Um it definitely had its moments, but I'll probably forget about this one in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be one with much staying power. Yeah. That being said, for Vegas, um, what do you think? What sort of changes do you think that they're gonna make going into next season? Because they've got some some kind of um, some some UFAs coming up. Um, Barbashev is one, and um, their goalie situation. They've got three guys coming off the books. So, what do you mm. think that they're gonna be doing? I think I think Barbashev might be a priority to keep. I don't know if they'll be able to afford him, um, but he looked like such a good uh, fit. Yeah, Marcia so is a UFA as well, so he's going to get prioritized or should be prioritized over, over Barbashev. I think Marcia has got a year left, and he's UFA next season. Oh, yep, yep, it has. Um, I just forgot Cat Friendly moved ahead to next season already. <laughs> yeah, I know. It <laughs> throws me off, too. It's throwing me off. Um, um, I think, yeah, it's just it's Barbashev really and then, like, their goalies um, are the main question marks. Mm. Um and like Aiden Hill definitely earned a raise, but we've seen it happen before where a cup winning goalie um plays super super well and then the team moves on. Um yep. because they don't want to pay. And like do you think he's legit or do you think he was just hot at the right time? I don't even know I think he was good at the right time. But I also think he's a product of the team in front of him. He was He's someone who's a good goalie, but I also think Vegas is a team that didn't need a superstar goalie. They just needed someone who could make the saves that they needed. They just needed someone who is, like, average to above average to be exactly, like, serviceable what they needed because the team in front of him was so good. Yeah. You know, kind of like, kind of maybe like a Carolina situation where the goalies kind of go there and they overperform because the team in front of them is good at, at stopping the type of chances that are going to go in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he 
played well enough during the regular season. He's had some some seasons of like low games, but pretty good numbers before in the league. Mm-hmm. But he was just next level in the playoffs. So it's kind of hard to gauge like if yeah. he's ready to be a starter. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. I sort of anticipate um, they're going to need to clear someone's cap space, and I feel like Alec Martinez is the likely one to go because he's kind of hitting he's kind of getting a bit older he's 35 and he's still at 5.25 million and if they trade him if i'm reading their cap page right that give him about eight give him about nine million in cap space eight and a half or nine million which should be enough to kind of re-sign barbashev and fill out a bit of a goalie situation yeah yeah i've seen um rumors that like oel might be a cheap replacement on their blue line yeah because they could probably get him for a million yeah and then play him bottom pairing or something um yeah but i think a lot of this is dependent on what happens with leonard that's true yeah. if he's able to if he's able to play and they can go and toss him back on ltir there's five million in ltir relief whatever that concert or uh, ends up being otherwise they either have to trade him or find a way to fit his five million in the cap yeah that's a good point i know last i checked he was dealing with bankruptcy with his snake ranch things <laughs> and then he got like sued for like saying he had more money than he did or something so he's uh an interesting case he might be yeah yeah he might be uh <laughs> might be out of commission <laughs> for a bit longer yeah um if not i think arizona needs to hit the cap floor <laughs> yeah i i wonder what their what the, what their team's gonna look like next season um because um anybody who's followed kind of hockey since Vegas has been around would know that they've been pretty ruthless and cutthroat with like how they operate. So, you know, mm-hmm. they might say goodbye. Thanks for your help on this cup run. See ya. We're going to bring in the next best thing. Right. Like I would totally expect that out of Vegas. And like part of me respects yep. that. Cause it's like, you know, we're doing the best thing for the team here, but part of me is also like on that side of like, I don't know my, my personal lean is like more loyalty to the to the players but i know that that sometimes yeah. gets you in a bad spot where you give out bad contracts and you keep someone a little too long you don't get value back and um ken holland syndrome yeah i mean i don't know what it is but that's definitely the side that i lean on like you know like yeah i'm right with you fans there. are talking about like oh baxter needs to get a go and blah 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 and it's like that dude gave his his entire adult life to this franchise like I'm totally fine with them keeping them <laughs> like on the books yeah. for now. Like until at he this retires. point, it's not like they're yeah, it's not like they're trying or needing to compete to like free up that roster spot for someone healthier or the cap space. It's like now nah, you can just let him play his game out. He's gonna finish with Ovechkin, and you, you just kind of go out on a high note with the team he started with, that type of thing. Yeah, but um, it's interesting you bring that up because um, they were talking on Thirty Two Thoughts with Friedman and Merrick. They were talking about that exact thing about how they wonder what this will do because Vegas is uncharacteristically bold for an NHL team. And they're wondering if seeing how Vegas is acting and and finding success, if it's going to influence other GMs and other teams to try and follow a similar cutthroat approach. I would say probably it's a pretty copycat league, right? Like everybody always does what the cub winner does. Like I could see teams being like, Oh, we don't need a good goalie. Like maybe we don't need to go out and get Hellebuck. And it's like, I would say, this is it's possible to win a cup without a good goalie but like are you better off with a good goalie probably (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. It, it all depends on roster composition because if you have a team, a good team like this, then you can probably get away with an average goalie. We saw Chicago win it with Anti Niemi that one year. Yeah, it's just if the team's good enough, you know. But like, if you're like, it's it certainly helps when you're Tampa Bay and have an amazing team with Vasilevsky. <laughs> yeah, that's the <laughs> like, thing, right? Like, helps, if you look at every other Cup win, it's like. Of recently, like recently, it's like yeah, they they had pretty good goaltending, um, so it's just, it's interesting. It's always interesting to see people try and copy what's worked, because then they try and apply it to their own team, and it's just not it's not the same. Like you can't replicate. no, because there's so many variables yeah. in a roster. Like you can't oh their team did okay with it, but like they also have 19 different players than you. Yeah, yeah. Did, I saw a thing and it said that. Um, Vegas, I think, is one of the one of the only teams in the modern era to win a cup and not have any player up for any of the individual awards. Did you see that? Mm, no, um, but I mean, it's accurate. Let me see. Because usually, I mean, the last the last handful of years, it's like one of the best teams in the league with a superstar: Colorado, Tampa, Pittsburgh. I mean, I'm pretty sure the St. Louis one would have had O'Reilly up for the Selkie or something. Yeah. So here it is. So. Uh, 2023 Golden Knights are the first Stanley Cup champion without a regular season awards finalist since 1995 and only the fifth in the modern era. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Um, like most of yep, like one of the best players was hurt depth. all year. They used a bunch of goalies. Um, well, two of their best players were hurt all year. Eichel and Stone missed a lot of time. Yeah, and like Stone would have been a Selkie nominee probably, right? If he played a full yeah. year. Um so yeah, it's just interesting, like how rare that is. Um, but then you look at the, the team, and it's like, okay, yeah, that guy normally would be up for one, right? But yeah, yeah, it, it's I don't know what they're gonna do, but I I would totally expect them to just be like, you know, all right, get lost. We're bringing in the new hotness. That's just kind of what they do. Um. Yeah, I'd be looking at their defense like Martinez and hell, even even because they're so bold, even McNabb for that extra 2.85. I could see that for sure. Well, again, congratulations to the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, first, and, first and hopefully only cup win <laughs> for, for them. There's thirty one. There's thirty one other teams that need to win now. <laughs> yeah, I'm part of the, part of the fun online is seeing like franchises being like, oh, this is so annoying that like. Um, like for Vancouver, for example, like they're like their fans are pissed that a team that's only have only has like six years um, of existence wins before them. And it's like, well, there's there's been, I think, like 13 other teams that have won since you've come into the league, so like Washington yep. being one of them. Um, and I mean, that's that's the kind of the consequence of having competent management and ownership, you know, shots fired at Vancouver, <laughs> but like when your team is constructed and the front office is constructed the way it is, like you're not going to win. How dare you sell you the good name of the team that has <laughs> the most expensive buyout in NHL history. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a disaster. Let's talk about that. Do you want to move? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good segue. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Ekin Canucks, Larson now Canucks that we brought him up again. Shit talk. Yeah. Um, it just didn't work. It just did not work. And he, he really just, said to his agent i want to go here or i want to go to boston and um they made it happen the canucks gave up what f three or four guys it was roussel beagle 
and uh, Louis Erickson. Was there another guy in there? Erickson and <clears throat> and I believe the draft pick for Dylan Gunther. Yes. Yep. Um, and those guys were all on expiring contracts. Yeah. So basically, the whatever seven point eight million that they gave Ekman Larson or that they're paying Ekman Larson was the exact amount that the three players they traded away were making at the time. The three players they traded away, all their contracts were expiring at the end of the next season. Ekman Larson had like seven more years at that price. So they went and tied up all that money for all of that extra time instead of just letting it go and getting that extra nearly $8 million. Yeah, and they got Connor Garland's and, RFA rights too. Oh, yeah, that too. And like, it's, it's beyond just that trade because remember Benning spent the entirety of the offseason prior focused on getting Ekman Larson. He like didn't have time to deal with Tyler, keeping Tyler to Foley after his quite successful short tri- time in Vancouver. He didn't even extend an Goes offer. In, <laughs> yeah. Didn't, didn't extend an offer. Let him go because he's too focused on getting Ekman Larson. Spends the entire year and then finally gets in the next offseason when every single person in the hockey world can predict exactly how this is going to play out because of how Ekman Larson's been hurt and playing poorly in Arizona. Yeah. Like, this wasn't a surprise to anybody that he came in and didn't work out in Vancouver. Yeah, and he was already kind of, like, replaced by Chikrin, even at that time, as, like, the number one guy in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then he just comes to Vancouver, and just his game does not get any better. It looks He looked pretty bad out there with the eye test, too. Um, just really bad. Um, That's all there is to say about it. Yeah, really. and so... I think the buyout makes sense. It's just like so much money. It's pretty, pretty wild how how long that that is. Um, oh yeah, I mean, and it's basically the the only move that Canucks could have made because they were already over the cap for next season without this move. So they needed to do something. They did, yeah, and that's kind of the that's kind of the biggest like misuse of cap space on the roster so it's like well okay we got to do this and free up four million for the next few years and then hopefully when you know the cap goes up in a couple of seasons the penalty won't be as impactful and they'll have other stuff freed up moved open yeah yeah because they have to add add a d-man they've got to figure out what their goalie situation is for backup um i think they're looking to change some forward stuff so they've they've got to they had to have some flexibility there. Um, yeah, it's just, what is it, $20 million until 2031 or something? Um, and so, yeah, it's like a this year it gives them, like, what, like $6 million or something in cap space? Oh, yeah, it's basically the whole contract. It, uh, they're only, their cap hit on Ekman Larson next season is 146000 so it frees up like the entire contract, and then it goes up to two point three, then two years at four point seven, and then a couple years at two point one, and then I think it goes past that. I can't scroll that far. Yeah, I think it's until twenty thirty one. Yeah, it stops at twenty twenty eight twenty nine and cap friendly. The buyout's so long that I can't actually scroll that <laughs> far with the screen of size it is. So yeah, Let's they, they need to use that cap space to um, sign. Ethan Bear, who is hurt until I think like December or something with shoulder surgery, and then they got to bring in somebody else on D, um, or maybe they'll bring up some some young guys um, like Jack Rathbone or something, or Will Lannon. Um 
and then I think they were there's like one of the worst kept secrets is like they're looking to shop Connor Garland, and so now now that they have cap space, they won't be so like up against the wall to like you know mm-hmm. trade assets to someone to take Garland. Um, exactly. So it's gonna be interesting to see what they do here because they do need to replace Ekman Larson in the lineup. What are they gonna do there? Um, and then now that Ekman Larson is gone, I don't know if the Tyler Myers trade will happen because the rumor was like once July first comes and Myers gets this giant bonus that they would look to trade him. But now it's like they probably got to keep him. Um, it is funny seeing like you know hypothesizing they still do trade Myers. I think you're right; they do keep him just because they, you know, what's what's the benefit? They're gonna they've already freed up enough to cover what, you know, what enough to cover Myers' contract for next season, and he is at least a body in the middle of their defense somewhere. But um, their defense right now, they only have four defenders under contract. They don't trade Myers. Their only defenders under contract are Hughes, Roenick, and uh, Guillaume Brisebois, and then some guys in the minors they'll bring up. I guess, like, Tucker Poolman as well. I think, like, last year they they had... Um, yeah, I think Tucker Poolman's gone. Um, I don't know if he's ever playing again. <laughs> um, but... Well, they could bring up Elias Patterson. Yeah, I I think I don't know what his status <laughs> is, but that would be funny if he came over. Um, but yeah, Jack Rathbone. I think Luan and and um, Hirose played, and I think Noah Juleson. They might resign, yeah. so they might have some guys they can bring up. But yeah, their defense doesn't look great. But yeah, Tyler Myers might be a prime candidate for a uh, deadline deal <coughs> if they keep him. I it's agree with that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, do just enough to get out of the top 10 um, for draft picks and still look like a really bad, bad. roster <laughs> going into next that's season. The, that's the Canucks way, isn't it? Like they go and win meaningless games and put them in a worse position for the draft so that they just kind of perpetuate their mediocrity. And then they're like one lottery ball off from getting to the number one pick. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this sucks. That's just such Canucks luck. Oh yeah, yeah. But I I don't know. I I think they they're gonna be interesting to watch, but I don't think that they're gonna be able to do enough to make it a really great playoff. No, ready team. No, not not in the not in the Pacific right now. Like Vegas, Edmonton, Seattle. I mean, who knows? Like L.A. and who knows how Calgary is gonna be? And yeah, there's there's too much competition in the Pacific and right now. And it'll be a, a it's a big year for them because Pedersen's contract's up. So if they don't really show him that they're moving in the right direction i could see him not wanting to resign so when i think who was it quinn hughes said they don't want to be there through a rebuild yeah so like they could really if if their retool doesn't work then they could really have to um shake up the entire thing and just let everyone go yeah and start fresh with the team built around jt miller (laughs) yeah everyone's dreams story um so speaking of starting fresh and letting everyone go, let's 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 talk about Boston. Um if you don't mind. Um Yeah, they, let's do it. They're a team that might have to let go of someone that they don't want. Um just because like if you look at their cap friendly situation, it's like there's there's a lot of red on there. There's a lot of people who are um on um expired contracts and um their cap is 
pretty low. Um, yeah, they've <laughs> they've got a lot of forwards to re-sign, and these are some. I mean, a few a few names are going to cost a few million, and they also have a Jeremy Swayman to re-sign. He might actually. <laughs> On that topic, he, Swayman might end up being a very highly coveted RFA bio can, or uh, <laughs> Bi- um, offer sheet yeah. candidate. Bi- yep. Yeah, buy out the RFA guy. Yeah, no, um, offer sheet candidate or trade for the rights. Yeah, there's. I think there there's might be some some moves that Bruins fans aren't too thrilled about here, um, because I think I think one of their biggest questions is like, th- is Patrice Bergeron done? Is Krejci done? If they are, what does that mean for their center depth? Are you going to have top line center Pavel Zaka or Charlie Coyle? I think Zaka did play well in Boston. He looked good with um, some other big guys. Um, but if you lose Bergeron, that's a huge blow to your team. So, mm-hmm. And the way, the way that they went off the ice with him at the end of their playoff series there kind of seems to be foreshadowing that it's his last game it, yeah it, it it did look that way for sure and so that's that's probably the biggest question for me is if those two guys are coming back or not because if they come back like they probably come back for super cheap right um mm-hmm. but if they're not obviously you got to replace like two huge parts of your, your forward depth and then how are you going to do that because you know, you've got these guys who have expired, like Tyler Bertuzzi, who played Unreal in playoffs. Like, are, are you going to be able to afford Garnett that Hathaway, guy? who's, like, the prototypical Boston Bruins guy. Yeah, they've got, like, $5 million in space, so it's, like, Bertuzzi's probably going to cost yeah. more than that. So, unless mm-hmm. he takes a discount. But I don't know if he would. Um, and these, uh, the Bruins are kind of strapped a bit here. They have a ton of no-movement clauses and no-trade clauses that are going to make it difficult to move some guys, like someone I would identify as a person to move, even though they don't have much center depth as Charlie Coyle at 5.25 million, you know, but he's got modified, no trade, no movement clause. And he's also at this point, potentially their highest center in the depth chart. Yeah. The, the names that I've seen that they might be moving is DeBrusque, Grizzlick, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Riley, who I don't think anyone w- would want. Um, Carlo, I've seen too thrown out there, um, but then it gets interesting between the goalies, because there's people who say we should keep Swayman because he's young and really good, or we should keep Olmar because he just won the Vezina, because um, like I don't know what a comparable deal for Swayman is, but he's played super well, so he's definitely earned like what like three point five probably four million or something. Probably he'd probably be looking at those like Bennington and Huso deals. Yeah, Huso's at four point seven. Yeah, so probably Huso because Bennington had that amazing cup run in his books, but um, you know he pr- like Swayman might be looking at the at the Huso deal as a pretty solid comparable. So that's like ninety. Maybe even more actually because he's got a. Yeah, exactly. Maybe even more because he's got a couple like an extra year or so of good performance over over Huso at the time of the signing. Yeah. So like, they're a great tandem. That both those guys like like each other, um, Swayman and Olmark. Yeah, yeah, they're a good they're a good team together. But if you're trading one, do you trade Olmark? <laughs> do you think he's going to be as good next season? I mean, he's been up and down, right? Like he the, his first year in Boston, he wasn't great, and Swayman kind of took over for a lot of the season, I think. Yeah. 
and then this year he was absolutely unreal. So this is the all mark that I thought Boston was getting when they signed him. But who knows which one's going to show up next year, especially if the team in front of him is going to be a bit you know, different and, and probably worse. Yeah. I just don't know what they're going to do. I think they might move DeBrusque. I think that one's probably... And DeBrusque and Grizzly. DeBrusque and I hear Grizzly a lot, and that frees up $7 million on top of their already five. So that gives them like 12-ish million to fiddle around with. Um, you know, they, they'd be... I feel like that Mike Riley contract, like, even if no one takes it, they can just bury it and free up another little bit because there's no way that, like, they can they can re-sign Connor Clifton probably for the same, if not cheaper, and he's better. Yeah. Or they can use, I'm sure they have some random defender in their depth chart. That would be a little bit better. Yeah, probably. Um, or maybe they look at Ekman Larson as well as is their, you know, one million or lower. I have seen that as well, yeah. Um, that that would make a lot of sense because it was one of his destinations he wanted to go to. So maybe he goes you know, there. on a better team with a better system in a lower, uh, a less impactful role. Maybe he looks okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I think their their biggest question mark is just how do they make the cap space and then what do they do on forward? Like, because it's it's an interesting group of guys that they have to to replace. Um. Yeah, very, very tough uh, job ahead of them um, to figure out. So good luck, Sweeney. Handful of teams have already made coaching changes heading into the offseason here. There's, to my looking here, still one vacant seat in Columbus. But um, Vacant. Let's start vacant. <laughs> yeah, we, we know what's supposed to happen there um, pretty soon, apparently. But we'll wait until it actually happens before we start trashing the move. Um, so let's start with your Washington Capitals here who brought in Spencer Carberry as their next head coach. How are you feeling about that one? I feel good about that. It's um, kind of a homegrown guy. Um, he is also from the island, which is kind of cool. He, I think he's got a lot of experience in the Bears organization um, and apparently is, is well-liked by players. He led the Bears to the AHL regular season championship in 2021. Yeah, and he won Coach of the Year. That's that's what I'm thinking of. He won Coach yeah. of the Year in the AHL. Um, moved over to work um, on the on the bench as an assistant for the Maple Leafs, and then um, came back. Um, yeah, so, so it's, it's kind of cool. I think he also played in like the ECHL affiliate for the Capitals as a player as well. Um, so he's really kind of got deep roots to the Capitals. Um, which is good that he's familiar with the organization. He's familiar with the people involved, so it's kind of like a it's it's a less unfamiliar situation for both sides of this. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it seems like a good fit. I'm just kind of excited to see what a what an island guy can do as a as a coach for the team. I like um, it's a cool connection for me. Um, I'm I'm interested to see kind of what he does as a head coach here with the roster that the Capitals have. I don't know. I'm not exactly confident, and there's a lot of question marks about what the Caps are going to do this offseason. Like, they're trying to shop Kuznetsov and Mantha, and I don't I don't know who's really buying on either of those guys, but, yeah, he, he might have an interesting roster composition going into the season. Um, so it might not look like a super successful record after a season for him, but... Um, 
I think they've they've signed him to a four-year contract. Um, so he he's got some term to, to kind of figure out what's going on. Is it kind of I think kind of see the sunset on Ovechkin's last contract here. Um, yeah, it's kind of this is the last. These uh, he'll cover the last few years of the Ovechkin era, basically. Yeah, and then. You know, hopefully, hopefully he gets a fair shot over these four years, knowing that the team isn't going to be super competitive. And then, you know, maybe he finds a little bit of success. Maybe he finds not necessarily standing success, but just within the roster, within the room, within the organization, he shows that he's capable of getting a lot out of this team. Yeah. And most importantly, I think his key responsibility is making sure Obi gets the gold. <laughs> I think that's. Uh, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think that's key. Yeah, and uh, I think, like, importantly, he's got, like, a lot of good experience with, like, younger guys, um, and the mm -hmm. Capitals are going to be really bringing in a bunch of youth um, in the next few years. Um, and, I mean, shout-out to Hershey Bears. They just won the Calder Cups. And um, Game 7, um, Lapierre, Hendricks Lapierre and Connor McMichael both had goals to tie the game. Um, and there's some other performances by some of the guys signed to two-way deals um but you know with the capitals having those two guys and maroshnashenko and you know the the number eight pick in this year's draft there's going to be some mitch mitchkov probably pretty pretty soon maybe um <laughs> i mean a lot of people are talking about that and the capitals did terminate maroshnashenko's khl contract so they have done that before so if if mitchkov does fall to them i think there's a like a higher chance that the Capitals can terminate that contract just because of like the Ovechkin factor than another team. Um, but there's some weird questions around Mitchkov. Like his dad is apparently trying yeah. to terminate his contract, and he got possibly murdered. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, this very, it's a real touchy one weird. that it's like. Um, so there's some some, and there's some question marks around like that, Mitchkov's um, personality as well. Um, but there's going to be youth in the Capitals going forward. Like, they've got, like, you know, a lot of young guys like Paravari, yeah. Sandin, well, Alexiev, McMichael, Lapierre, yeah. Maroshnashenko, this pending number eight draft pick. Um, so having a coach that kind of fits the turning the page, I think, makes sense. Um, and, you know, he's, he's also... Um, worked with veterans and stuff of course too and top end talent in toronto so um I'm, I'm excited about it i think it it's a good fit that's awesome yeah um yeah i'm kind of in the same boat where it's like he's got a lot of experience with the organization um your point about his experience with younger players and with kind of like a, a building a roster um i think that's huge and he's kind of worked his way up in the coaching as well he's kind of just he's worked with a few different organizations i think and um it just seems like the right type of fit for now. And it's probably better they go... I mean, it's not like there's going to be too many experienced coaches who want to come in and see the team through a downfall slash rebuild. So it's a cool chance for a, a, newer, a new coach to kind of get a first opportunity in the, in the NHL as a head coach. Yeah, and I just like seeing somebody new become a head coach in the NHL too. Yeah. So this, this is actually um, an interesting... I'll jump ahead just since you mentioned it. There's been five coaches hired so far for this offseason, and four of them are first-time head coaches. 
or first time official head coaches i'll say as one of them was an interim is there five or is there more than that because there's what there's carberry brunette for nashville is mm-hmm. is laviolette officially the head coach um i think he is and he's the only one who's like an, an experienced coach because then there's huska and cronin and well, i Anaheim. guess brunette was interim so does he count yeah. as, so brunette's yeah. His, his technical career record is zero because he's never been an official head coach, but he does have the interim label from his uh, half season there and in did Florida. did quite well. Exactly, um, which is why I'm surprised that he didn't stay. Yeah. I mean, it ended up working out, but, like, I'm surprised that he didn't get a head coaching job before and that he didn't stay in um, in Florida after he did quite well with the team. Yeah, and I get, we were talking about this before the podcast, but Nashville traded out Ryan Johansson um, to Colorado at 50% retained for Alex Galchenyuk Jr., <laughs> um, <laughs> or at least the, the right UFA rights to him. Um, yeah. But we were talking about, like, why does this, like, what what is this? And it's like, I for, totally forgot that, like, Brunette was the new coach. So it's like, you were saying you think Nashville might be taking a run at to bring it because Nashville was on his list reportedly. So I could see yeah. like Brunette when he was in Florida, he, he did like a run and gun offense creative t- sort of style. And so maybe that's appealing to a guy like to bring it. Um, maybe mm-hmm. that's, maybe that's all part of it. Make the cl- the cap space to get, get a guy like that. Um, yeah. And I mean, for, I mean, since we're talking about them, we'll just, you know, jump in. That's the next, the next new head coach is Andrew Burnett in Nashville. Um, it, it's kind of an interesting one because he he's a fairly experienced and you know considering his you know his background as not being a head coach he's got a lot of attention around his name as a coach in the league so it's interesting to see him go to Nashville because we're still trying to get a gauge like on what Nashville's strategy is with um, Barry Trotz taking over as GM now we're still trying to figure out like are they going to rebuild are they cleaning house for just are they just trying to retool like what's going on here it, i mean they have so many draft picks coming up right away with trading tanner Janot for absolute <laughs> hall that <laughs> that uh it looks like they're trying to kind of do everything at once mm-hmm. they have yeah they have 10 draft picks in the first four rounds this year which is you know that's going to be like a, a very like quick start on on filling this prospect pool filling this cupboard up getting some guys who are going to make an impact in three to four years probably about the end of when brunette's contract is up and then they can reevaluate how he's doing with with what's here because they still do have a handful of good players with um philip forsberg wherever he is on here he's injured i think uh yossi and uc soros they kind of have like high-end players at forward uh, one of the best defenders in the league one of the best goalies in the league so they do have solid pieces to build around and as usual nashville has always had a very strong defense and that's something that's been you know a strength for them for most of their existence so if they go and find like through last season they had these guys like yuso parson in and thomas novak come in out of nowhere as prospects and have amazing seasons if they can go and find a few of these guys in their system if they can go and fill a couple of free agents make a play on on Alex to or like seeing who's available in free agency if they want to bring in like Mikel Backlund or if Elias Lindholm doesn't want to stay in Calgary 
you know, it's not a very good free agent class, so it's going to be hard to to fill that. But they could potentially build a solid team around, you know, what they do have. And if they find the right pieces, like, Brunette's going to be a different coach than what Nashville is used to. It's going to be a bit of a different era because they're used to playing a more, like, reserved game based on, like, defense or goaltending. So it'll be it'll be different to see how they thrive how they thrive with the same pieces like the same strength on defense and in net, but with more of an offensive flair. Yeah, as well. I was I was thinking that too. Like it might really be more fun to watch um, for offense this season with a more offensive coach um, mm-hmm. and just freeing up the creativity of it. Um, and they they've got some interesting prospects that I think might be eligible to to join either the nhl or the ahl this year um you know they had evangelist to come up at the very end of the season um actually i think he played quite a bit of games and was looking pretty good um i think they had a few rookies that kind of joined and kind of came yeah, out there's evangelista. um did zachary larue play any nhl games i can't remember um i'm not sure but parsinen no. came up um and uh, yeah parsinen was he had a I picked him up in fantasy for a couple of stretches because he was putting up like four or five points in a few games yeah but um, um you know one of those guys they, they, and they also sorry oh, go ahead I don't know if you're going this way but like Reed Schaefer um <laughs> literally yeah. I was gonna bring up they also have Reed Schaefer who is fairly NHL ready so he was he wasn't like an overager draft but he was like an older an older um birthday in a year like where the draft falls i think so he was like a little bit more experienced or a little bit older than the other prospects but he's also um a bigger power forward type who was more nhl ready than say like than than uh, other players taken around him around the same time as him so there is actually a chance that he may he almost i think made the oilers um out of preseason training camp last season where he was he was playing all right and almost made the team. So he's quite NHL ready and I wouldn't be surprised to see him on Nashville's roster on opening night. Yeah, they've got a few guys with um that were in the Memorial Cup um that might be looked to take a spot like um Reed Schaefer, um Luke Prokop um also um which I've got a side note for. Um he's the first openly gay um guy under NHL contract, Luke Prokop. Um, and you know, it being Pride Month, the NHL. <laughs> I don't know if we want to go into this right now, but it's just a side note that the NHL said that they're not doing any sort of warm-up jerseys on the ice, um, including like Pride Month jerseys or Pride celebration jerseys. It's just a great, great timing and just a way to way to go. NHL just cater to yeah a handful of players that are whatever you want to call them um the only the only redeeming quality in a very terrible decision is that they're canceling all warm-up jerseys and they're not just leaving like the military propaganda ones and canceling all the social cause ones yeah like they're still gonna do them but they're not wearing them on they're the still ice. gonna have the knights but there's no jerseys yes yeah. like the jerseys will still be made i think but they're not wearing them i think but like it's just stupid because yeah, they did like, like hockey fights cancer you know pride um military awareness or whatever they do like 
all sorts of different themed nights and they do like you know hispanic heritage night or like filipino heritage whatever and some some of those jerseys are really cool designs and you get to feature like a local mm-hmm. designer that gets to make something yeah cool. the, canucks, like, the canucks do a lot of um like indigenous yeah they do like indigenous they do like asian nice. they do like a chinese new year one um you yeah know, like and they get really really cool and unique teams designs do, like, on those things during like black history month during february they do like cool designs from like black designers and then they do all sorts of cool <laughs> stuff with those jerseys and it's like it's like a 15 minute warm-up like that's yeah it's just so stupid and it <laughs> it's such a it's such a huge show of support to have these like the designs the artists the cultures the causes featured on the ice and to have the players you know show support and to have the league show support for all of it that taking this away it's like there are I, I see what the league is attempting to do. They've just gone about it in a terrible way. Yeah, like they're just trying to they're just trying to like reduce the amount of publicity and bad press that they're getting because they got, abs like the teams the players got bashed for, you know, for withdrawing from certain, certain nights like the pride the pride warm up jerseys with certain players you know deciding that they wouldn't wear them. Yeah, and they're trying to like reduce the bad press from that by canceling everything, and it's just like that's really not the right approach to that. Yeah, and I I also don't want to reduce Luke Prokop down to just one aspect of who he is either. Like he's a talented defenseman, and I think that you know he's he's just going to be ready to um I think maybe make the jump to pro. Um, I think there's an opportunity for him. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I just just a side note that popped up in my head. Um. But I think that he looked good during the Memorial Cup, um, during the you know, WHL regular season. So um, could see them having a need for a guy like him on their blue line. Um, we'll see who kind of makes their team out of camp. But I think there's a lot of exciting rookies to watch. And then you mentioned like they've got so many draft picks that they might have more guys who are looking to come in um, right away. Um, mm-hmm. And then the big question mark for Nashville is just are they going to trade Soros or, you know, get an absolute haul, <laughs> try and get more than they got for, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Tanner, you know, cause that's, that was a King's ransom. So imagine what they'd want for oh, Soros. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean like just a new coach. Interesting to see what happens. Lots of new players possibly. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens in Nashville. Um, and, um, the, uh, go ahead. Uh, were, uh, were you finished with, uh, with Nashville and Brunette? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the, uh, the next new head coach is going to be Greg Cronin taking over for the Anaheim Ducks. So this one was interesting because in the lead up to this decision, it was talked about how Pat Verbeek was interviewing like hundreds of people for this position. So there was just a running joke of like, of, of people, including myself, and, you know, <laughs> ho- other hockey fans. Hey, uh, where's my interview? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that he's just working his way down, which I think that's an interest. That's interesting. Cause you usually hear like, Oh, the short list that comes out is like these five same recycled names. And then you have Pat Verbeek coming in and he's basically interviewing every hockey coach in the country. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably, it's a, it's a labor intensive way of handling a coaching search process, but it's also one where you're going to find a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different things to consider. And, uh, you know, ultimately they ended up with Greg Cronin, who's going to be first time head coach in the NHL. 
I believe he has quite extensive experience. I'm trying to find his coaching record. But he's got quite a bit of experience with um, younger players, with development. I think he's with – he spent a lot of time with US, the U.S. teams, like NCAA. He and was also one of the co-founders of the U.S. National Team Development Program. Um, yeah, so – spent some time there. Um, this, is, you know, this is pretty huge to get someone who's got so much experience in player development. And I think that's key because the Ducks are kind of trying to turn a corner in their rebuild, and they're, the core of their roster is younger players trying to develop. So that's pretty – astute i guess to bring in someone like him mm -hmm. who's got all this experience with with development programs yeah like guys like zegris on your team so it, it makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense to bring a guy who's possibly been around the same sort of type of players coming out of that program um mm -hmm. and yeah most recently he spent a few years as an assistant in toronto a few years as an assistant with the islanders if or actually quite a few years as assistant with the Islanders over a couple of stints. And before this, he had five seasons uh, head coach of the Colorado Eagles in the AHL. Yeah, so it just, it just makes sense with just where Anaheim's at. Like we talked about Spencer Carberry, and he was a guy that was interviewed for this job. I know he was in the running for it, I think. Um, but similar sort of trajectory, but... Anaheim's there now, whereas Washington will be there in a couple of seasons, um, where they've got a lot of young players like you know, Drysdale, Zegris, Troy Terry, um, lots of you know, lots of draft picks that are looking to crack the roster. Um, so I think it makes sense just having that youth experience. Um, I don't really know much about Cronin, but. It seems like he's a good fit. One, one huge part of Anaheim's offseason here is that they've got like $40 million in cap <laughs> space. So, you know, they have a somewhat full roster of random players, but they also have the ability to make a play on some bigger names. If uh, they can attract anybody as a trade target, I would not recommend that they spend any of that money in free agency this season, unless they're just plugging holes for cheap. But um, they should they they can make a play for a big trade. They have you know a few extra draft picks, a few good prospects, and they should be able to find somebody, some team that needs to um, trade away a, a decent player. For some cap space, they should be able to make adva take advantage of that and spend some of this cap. Yeah, and they've also got John Gibson, who they might be looking to flip for assets too, right? Um, yeah. So exactly, yeah, they they would be. I think they'd do well to take on some bad contracts or, yeah, take advantage of teams under the cap pinch. Um, really, just maximize and weaponize their cap space. Be smart, because they're not going to exactly. be competitive. And then, yeah, like you say, like the, the free agents now are not not a game breaker. So no, it's it's a bad year for free agency. So someone's gonna someone's gonna give out a few bad contracts to mid line mid level guys like Michael Bunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Anaheim will probably be just focusing on development and getting better, but they I don't think they'll mm -hmm. be anything crazy next season. Um, no. So temper expectations for Cronin. Just make sure he's working with the young guys and developing them and keeping them on pace for what their potential shows. 
Yes, and letting them letting them be the players they are because like one of the things you don't want to see is someone come in and and like tell Zegris to tone it down. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you always worry if they're going to go and bring in some like old school hard ass coach and then he's going to be like, "Yeah, Zegris is too much of a showboat and tell him to tone tone it down and, you know, respect the system and stuff." Well, a- but no, you want someone who's going to let Zegris shine because that's what the league needs is is that type of talent and creativity on the ice. Well, that might be a good segue to the Rangers. Um because yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think Labulette is necessarily that type of coach, but they've got um, the youth in their lineup that is, uh, I mean, what, let's just call a spade a spade. It's um, Alexi Lafreniere. What's going on with him? Um, because he's not really getting the opportunity, but then when he does get the opportunity, he's not really playing that great. But then on his line, yeah, he's kind of he's not really doing much. And then they bring in a guy like Laviolette. I mean, they've just got so many veterans occupying like the top six. So it's like, do they trade? There's no room for him. Lafreniere. What do they get back? Because there's teams that apparently are interested. But I've also seen like his skating is not super great. So, you know, if he goes to another team, could he be like a, a really great player? I don't know, but. They bring in Laviolette. They fired Gallant. Uh, I mean, uh, now one one thing to note is that apparently Gallant is notoriously bad for developing is, uh, yeah. and working with younger players. So that could be a factor in in Lafreniere as well as Capocacco, and and kind of their slowed and delayed and stalled out development. But um, we'll kind of have to wait and see because like at this point Lafreniere is, like, the worst-performing first overall pick since Nail Yakupov, and I think even Yakupov had more points. Yeah, he's, he's pretty bad. It, it was it was pretty close. So, you, you know, we're, what what are we, like, four years into his career, three or four years into his career, and it's kind of time to start being like, okay, is he just a bust? Like, is there a... Do we stop taking the expectations of the first-round pick on him and just kind of use him in what he can be, or is it because he's not getting any opportunities with power play time or or better players that he's kind of just not growing into his own so well we'll see what happens here with them because you know laviolette you're more familiar with him and his use of younger players than i am because he was just in washington for a couple seasons there but uh we'll kind of have to wait and see how he handles that particular composition where he puts lafreniere kako and i mean even philip heedle but heedle was doing pretty well for a bit there yeah i think like, Laviolette's not the worst with, like, young players. Like, when he was in Washington, he did use them quite a bit, but it might be more like that's what was available. Um, whereas in New York, like, I think he'll be more pragmatic and put them in more of a position to win. And if Lafreniere's not performing, he won't be afraid to not play him. But if he is performing well, he will elevate him in the lineup. So I think he's more of, like, a pragmatic kind of guy. Um, yeah, which which for a team that's trying to compete like they are in their cup window, I think that's pro- that's the right call. They're not in a development and, and growth stage. They're in like a, hey, we're trying to win these games. Well, if you look at Laviolette's history, right, like he brings teams to like almost the finals wherever he goes, right? Like he brings in, he comes in, he gets immediate success and then checks out like two or three years in. So he, I could see him having very high pressure in New York to deliver postseason success. And so he's going to do whatever it 
is necessary to, to, to get there. And if that means Lafreniere's on the third line, he'll I think he'll do that. But again, he's not afraid to put a guy up in the lineup if he's playing well. Like he wasn't afraid to just lean on Sandine to run the power play when Carlson was out and they traded for him. Oh yeah, Sandine was getting what twenty four minutes a night but for that. But again, there. like the Capitals were injury hit hard. So like that might have been more like you're the only guy that we have. But yep. um no, he wasn't putting like Trevor Van Riemsdyk out there on the power play. So um I th- I think he's m- a little bit like on the on the maybe on the spectrum of um you know youth versus veterans like he's maybe a little bit more to the youth side compared to Gallant, but he's still kind of like in that realm. Um but I think that's just because he he gets a team to the to the finals or so, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I, the only all of his other ten years with other teams, like he's there for five or six seasons, and he gets them to the finals. Washington was the first time he didn't take his his team to the. Finals. And I don't think that's any fault of his own. Like, no, that's just a consequence of Washington trying to get what they can out of their team, and it just they didn't have enough to compete. Yeah, um, I I I think he did did well in Washington but I think it was time for a change and since he is a coach that's used to kind of competitive teams like he's a better fit somewhere else um oh I stand corrected he was head coach of the Islanders for two years and they didn't make the finals I think that might have been his first NHL his first head coach in the NHL yeah yeah. um but Carolina won championship Philly lost in the finals Nashville lost in the finals yeah um. Yeah, he was—he's definitely a step up above Reardon for sure. Um, he's a—he's a good coach. I think he'll do well with with the Rangers lineup. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they make a big deep push because of the just the team that they have and the goaltending, um, that they have. But yeah, that I'm curious to see if um they trade out Lafreniere, just to be like, you know what. <laughs> You're not going to get a real opportunity here. You might as well get something for you. He's an RFA, so I don't. I think they're they would have been smarter to trade him a couple of years ago um, and get an absolute ransom for him. But I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do you think they keep him or do you think they trade him? I feel like hmm. Like if you look at the Rangers cap, base, I think I think. It might be. I feel like maybe give it get maybe a deadline deal, because right now his value is at an absolute low. He's the team can perform just fine with him filling what role he does in the lineup. It's not like they need to get rid of him to let somebody else in. Because quite frankly, like, would you rather have Lafreniere or some random veteran third liner in that third line role? You know, well, Lafreniere at least has a bit more potential, so if they can let him play through the season a bit, and then if they find at the deadline they want to try and upgrade and get like you know do what they did this year and bring in like some superstar you know all in type thing again with like they did with Kane Tarasenko, then maybe when his value's higher, hopefully at the deadline because of you know maybe new coach, maybe he finds a streak, maybe they stick him with like Zabanajad or Panarin for a little bit, like maybe they can boost his value and get a bit more for him at the deadline. 
Yeah. A team, a rebuilding team with a veteran that's performing well, kind of one of those situations. They don't have to give up their first round pick. They can give up Lafreniere instead. Yeah. I think that that's probably what they will end up doing. But if you look at their cap friendly, like they've got what, like 11 million, almost 12. And they've got, um, they have to resign Keandre Miller. They have to bring in a backup goalie, um, fill out some um, forward depth. Like here's a here's a question for you. What do you think Lafreniere's deal is gonna be if they keep him? Like two point five to two million one year. <laughs> uh, f- I yeah. Or do you one one year two million seems seems appropriate. I mean, because if you can sign thirty nine points last season. I feel like he I feel like he gets one or two years if it's one year maybe two two point two five if it's two years probably two million sign him to cheap and then do they take a, a run at keeping Tarasenko <laughs> yeah some more scoring um, that would be that would be smart to me or you know maybe they want to Maybe they keep Lafreniere and let Tarasenko go and then put like slot Lafreniere and say, hey, second line spot yours. You know, it's yours to lose. And then, you know, I don't think that would be the best decision because then they're banking a lot on someone who hasn't performed versus Tarasenko. I mean, Tarasenko wasn't amazing in his time in New York, but he's also got more pedigree. Yeah, some questions to answer in uh, Manhattan. For, for the Rangers. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting fit for um, for Laviolette there. Um, this seems like the type of team and situation that he's going to be able to get this team far. He's Honestly, it does seem like the right fit. Yeah, I think, he's, he, I think he should do a good job at improving their 5-on-5 five five scoring. Um, yep. And I think that would do wonders for their team. Um, because they've just been power yeah, play. Yeah, they they rely far too much exactly on yeah. that power play. Um. Okay, and then we have just got one more confirmed head coaching change, which is Ryan Huska, um, replacing Daryl Sutter in Calgary. Um, what do you think of that one? I think it's a pretty good move. Um, I mean, obviously, it was a good move to get rid of Sutter when you've got a handful of the team's like key players saying, we don't want to come back if he's here. And I just don't get the sense that he was respected or listened to enough in the dressing room to keep him. Like, there were a couple of guys that were fine. Like, I think Zadorov was one of them that actually liked playing for Sutter, but there's a few players on the team who are Sutter's type of player. So, of course, they're going to, you know be in his good in his good book um but Sutter is just not a new school coach quite simply he doesn't he doesn't mesh well with what coaches need to be now and by all accounts the team likes the team the players they like Ryan Huska so I think I think this is just a good move for them um I don't quite know the direction of the (laughs) team because like obviously we were talking earlier about how they've got a few key R- uh, UFAs and we don't know if they're going to be back. So this this might be a team that has to just head into a rebuild because of what's happened to their roster. Maybe if these guys decide they want to stay, then they can stick around for a bit. But 
we'll we'll kind of have to wait and see what the roster looks like before we set any expectations on what what they're looking for with Huska. Yeah, it it is tough to to gauge where they're going because there's so many guys that really still want out even after Sutter's gone. Um, that list includes Michael Backlund. Lindholm has been on both sides of the I want to go, I want to stay fence. Tyler Toffoli apparently wants out. Um, Noah Hannafin also. So um, I guess the good news for Calgary is that they're getting this information now rather than, um, you know, at the very end of the contract. It's not like a John Tavares, I, I guess, um, Johnny Gaudreau type situation um, where it's like, I want to stay, I want to stay, I want to stay. Okay, I'm signing here. Um, mm-hmm. so that they can trade these guys and get something back. But yeah, it, it is probably going to launch them to a rebuild because it's like, you know, you're going to trade Tyler to Foley. You're not going to get a guy who can score. I mean, he think he led their team in goals last year, didn't he? Um, so they're, believe, they're not going to get so. like the same production back. Um, and then... You know, Michael Backlund has been a guy that I thought that they were going to make their new captain, and then he wants to leave. Um, that's that's a tough one. He's been there forever, um, so that's definitely changing a changing of the guard if he's if he's on his way out. Um, Noah Hannafin is a a promising D man for them, but um, you know, with with Uyghur playing as good as he is, I think that one's more like an easier pill to swallow. Um, but still. Like you're not gonna get, you know, a, a top four D man back if you trade him out. So if those reports are true and those guys do all want out and they do end up trading them, like that's gonna devastate their team. And then they're paying yeah. Jonathan Huberto ten and a half million to put up what, fifty points? <laughs> I believe yeah, it was like fifty or sixty or something. It was not much, but uh the Flames are in absolute cap hell right now, so yeah, they don't have they don't have space to make any moves. Anyways, they have like one million, just over a million dollars left. So some and and you know there's you know, <laughs> Elias Lindholm makes four point eight five million right now, which is a steal. You know that's that's all it's a steal, and that's almost going to get doubled when he resigns. They've got you know Huberto making ten and a half. They've got Kadri making seven. Mangiapane is at 5.8. Like they're gonna have to move a couple of these guys, and it's like Backlund at 5.8, Hannafin just under five. Like those are the ones that are most expendable, really, because they're the ones that are gonna get raises probably next off season when they expire. So, looking at their cap friendly, looking at their cap situation, it's kind of like, okay, we'll we'll start the season with the same roster as last year because, quite frankly, the team was doing well. They just were a victim of having like the lowest shooting percentage and lowest save percentage in and the, the highest posts so, and crossbars hit as well. Yeah, so they could very realistically go into next season, new coach, different mentality, like fresh start, and bounce back and be as good as they were the season before when they had one of the best offenses in the league. But then if they go and hit, you know, mid-season, once they get close to the deadline and it still hasn't turned around, that's when it's going to be like, okay, Lindholm, Backlund, uh, Hannafin, you know, Zadorov, like all these guys that are, 
making a lot of money and they're gonna probably have to trade them and go for the rebuild oof i guess i should say for the defense too apparently shillington's gonna come back this season so i think the hannafin one is even more like uh mm -hmm. easier to digest um personally i would keep i would rather hannafin than shillington well, but, uh, yeah, there's also uh, a couple for sure. I, absolutely, but <laughs> Shillington's a pretty good defenseman. Yeah. So, like, if you do lose Hannafin, it's like, okay, we do have, like, an NHL-ready guy that can flesh out our lineup. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it makes sense because there's a little bit of a logjam there if Shillington does come back and they've got Uyghur, Shillington, Hannafin, Anderson, Tanev, Sidorov. Um which is not ideal because that's an expensive defense. They don't have any like entry level or cheap deals on that. It's all like guys making two and a half, three, four plus. Yeah. So getting rid of one does make sense. And if you can get maybe some forward depth for Hannafin, sure. Um, but they've got to be able to have the space to sign that person. Um, or yep. have inject them into the lineup and accommodate their cap hit. Um, so yeah, and right now, actually, one one move that I read a little bit about to save them a bit is um, trading Dan Vla Dan Vladar and uh, bringing Dustin Wolf in as backup. I have seen and that that'll as save well. that'll save a million million or a million and a half or so. I Apparently, think. he is ready to make the jump. Well, the guy's been the AHL goalie the year two seasons in a row or something. So yeah. <laughs> now, now is the time. Like, bring him up, let him let him play, see if he can take over for Markstrom, give him some competition. That would be interesting. Um, trade Vladar back to Boston. <laughs> yeah. Um, get bring in DeBrusque. <laughs> <laughs> um, Vladar and, and Vladar and Hannafin for DeBrusque and whatever. Yeah. Grizzly or something. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, that would be interesting. I guess that wouldn't help Boston, but <laughs> no, but it's probably cheaper than signing Sway. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's an interesting situation that Calgary finds themselves in. It's been kind of two summers of, um, I don't know, screaming for fans of, of that fan base, where you know they they lose two of their best players, and then they are finding out nobody wants to stay. Um, be tough, tough, but yeah, I think there's definitely a market for some of these guys if they if they do want out and they do want to trade them. Um, so it's gonna be tough, tough um going for Craig Conroy, but I think it'll be easy to find trades. It's just do you get good value back? Um, a mm -hmm. guy like Lindholm, there's probably 20 teams out there that would want that guy. Um, oh, you know, like as a as a deadline rental for the price that he's gonna be, like you're not gonna find a better value deadline rental for a team that needs like needs or wants center depth yeah like i've seen or like things where like carolina would want him apparently they wanted him last year at the deadline um capitals fan base is like oh we should get we should get lindholm um i've seen all sorts of different fan bases talking about um lindholm and just with his point production and his cap hit it's like yeah it's a it's a no-brainer yeah. i think teams would want him and he's a two-way guy, right? Like mm -hmm. he's, he's good everywhere. So, uh, yeah, teams teams would definitely want him for sure. I could see him as, as a contending team wanting to add that guy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's there's some other 
rumors swirling around about coaching um, out there, but those are the ones that are confirmed right now. Um, any other teams that you wanted to talk about at all? We've got the draft coming up uh, next week, um, which will be exciting. Yeah, draft is Wednesday, Thursday, and then free agency is Saturday. So we're gonna have we're gonna have some some stuff to record here right away. Probably push out a couple, hopefully push out a couple episodes within within all of that. Yeah, definitely going to be an interesting draft where there's, um, I mean, I, you probably follow the draft in previous years closer than I have. I've kind of really been diving into it this year, but it just seems like there's really no consensus after the number one pick this year, um, as far as like any order at all. So it's going to be interesting where teams are, if they're, really picking the best player available in the top round or or what's going on but i think it's going to be a fun one to see and i think there might be some trades up or down based on who's going when so i'm excited for it yeah um it's one of i think it's one of the deeper ones of recent years right with uh the quality of players available especially in that top five where like you say, there's other than other than Chicago, unfortunately, getting Bedard. Um, there isn't much of a consensus. Like I see, you know, Anaheim is likely to take Adam Fantilli, but it's like there's four, there's four more centers right in the, you know, it's like top five are all all centers, I think, and there's no consensus over who goes where. It's mostly just people. Oh well, this guy's got a connection here, or I've heard this team likes this particular player, but then. You've also got someone with the talent of Matvey Michkov that, like, wherever he goes, like Elliot Friedman was saying, wherever he gets picked is going to be a surprise. Yeah. Like, because he's either going to go way earlier than expected or way later than expected. Like, there's no real consensus where he falls. And, like, just because Edmonton hasn't... Edmonton wasn't going to have a high pick to begin with, and then they traded their first, I haven't followed it at all, so I don't even know what, what the first round looks like past the first five picks there's a lot but, of talent um, there and there's um yeah. a lot of guys that play together on like the u.s national development program whatever that acronym is ust uh, whatever and ntd yeah. or something um ndt there's a lot of guys that play together in that and so um what i've seen is they're like different rankings are picking a guy out of like a line and saying like this is a guy on the line that is the best and then other mm-hmm. rankings are saying, no, this guy is really driving the play on that line. So it's like they're all – it's kind of hard to gauge, like, who's going to go where because it's like a bunch of them play together from the U.S. on the U.S. You almost wonder, you know, if if I was in the GM spot, like, you've got these lines that are performing so well together. It's almost like do you try and, like, trade for a couple of consecutive picks in the first round and take the whole line? Yeah, yeah to let them stay together and just play their whole careers up through the system and then like okay well the whole line is good we're not going to try and pick which player is best and we're just going to keep them together <laughs> yeah yeah i think um, like that would be that would be an interesting one i think arizona and detroit have a chance of doing it of, of drafting a couple guys at least because they both have picks two picks i think within the top 16 um they just have most of the picks in the draft in general yeah um <laughs> What did you say? Detroit's got three consecutive picks in the second round. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they could they could do it, <laughs> but I don't know if any of those guys are going to fall that far. But they've got two in the first, and then Arizona does as well. So um, hmm. I'm I'm curious to see if teams trade picks away um, because it's such a deep draft. Like, do you want to yep. trade out of the first or just down? 
um, or up. We'll see. Um, there's not a lot of D prospects in the top round, um, but there's some, I think there might be some hidden gems um, that aren't projected to go in the first round. And there's a guy named... And that could just be a consequence of the depth of the draft that like defenders are harder to get attention unless you're like someone amazing like Juracek or something last season. Yeah. So if there's if there's so much obvious forward talent, then the defenders will get overlooked because everyone's watching the other players. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think there's like three D men in the in the first round projected to go, um, and then the I think the number four D man is Lucas Dragicevic. He plays in the WHL, but he had like seventy five points in the, in the WHL. So it's like if that guy's not even in the first round, that's that's pretty telling. That, yeah, there's a lot of good forwards. So, um, yeah, it's gonna be exciting. So we'll, we'll probably record an episode shortly after the draft and get that out there. Cool. That wraps things up for this time here on Clappercast. Make sure you rate and review this episode and toss a follow or subscribe our way. For more content, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Clappercast Media or on Twitter at Clappercast. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with more hockey talk.